Paleo nerds. Two grown men. One plays with dolls. The other draws dinosaurs with crayons. Together they explore the prehistoric past with experts from across the globe. Paleo nerds. Because deep time will blow your mind. David, how you Ah, pretty good. I'm so excited. We have a great guest. It is Bones, Dinosaurs, the Morrison Formation, Dinosaurs, 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 we're going to talk Dinosaurs. Yes, you know, we, we like to think that this uh, Paleo Nerds show is actually about more more than dinosaurs, right? Well, it is. Well, it is. It totally is. We talk to naturalists. We talk to Carl yeah. Fina and Luis Sahoyos. I mean, we talk to... Nerds. Non-dinosaur people. Wait, have we talked to anybody who's a non-dinosaur person? Well, lots of lots of them. We've talked to mammologists. We've talked to True. sloths. Yeah, yeah. We've talked to uh, artists. We've talked to ratfish specialists, shark specialists. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, every now and then we get to talk dinos, and today we're talking dinosaurs. Yeah. The biggest and, of the big. Uh, her position is coveted. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, uh, well, today's guest is Rebecca Hunt Foster. And she is the park paleontologist at Dinosaur National Monument, and that has got to be like the coolest job yeah, ever. The dream job. If you're if you're even the remotely if you're the remotest interested in dinosaurs, that has to be the dream job. Yeah, I wonder if she's got to wear the hat the whole deal, like you know. What hat? Well, there's the park ranger hat. I, you know, just like the Flintstones. You she know, she is not a park ranger. There's a there's a difference. Oh wait. That's right. She is. She's a park <laughs> paleontologist, but maybe yeah. because she works for the National Park Service, <laughs> I think they all have to work with. Well, we have to clear this up if she's got the hat. You mean you mean a Smokey the Bear hat? Yeah, yeah. No, Sm <laughs> did Smokey wear that? Well, Smokey the Bear, I'm thinking. No, uh, Smokey uh, wear he wore he wore like a 1930s Forest Service. I'm thinking Yogi Bear. This Yogi Bear, Yogi Bear, uh, dude. Yogi, Yogi Bear. Don't even think, there's no such thing as Yogi Bear. To me, he was real, Dave. You know, I'm a you know I'm I'm wearing my SpaceX, so I'm a space nut. Yeah, yeah. I'm a space enthusiast. I hated everything to do with Hanna Barbera oh, cartoons. Dude, you missed I out. I thought they no no they no, all sucked. No, yeah, no. even. Even uh, George, the Jetsons, which is oh, space themed, dude. I looked at that and went, "That is the stupidest show Man, ever." Man, you said this about Rocky and Bullwinkle too, and I, I just, I, I draw <sighs> well, the line there. Man, they weren't Hanna Barbera. They weren't Hanna Barbera. But the only thing we we can agree on is we both like Fireball XL Five, right? Yes, yes. So oh, I, I, I think loved, that's where you kind of got your ventriloquism. I love those gene. puppet. No, 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 no. They were they were marionettes. Well, quite different that, from. Well, I guess no, it's different. You stick your hand up. Different. And, have you ever done the puppets? Yes, I puppet, first puppets? of all, I stick I stick my hand up the back of the puppets. But yeah. with regards to marionettes, yes, I once had a dancing skeleton where I did the research. I built a marionette rig, and I actually had the the skeleton dance to this music. Really, and I involved a little trick where you. Build the marionette controller in a way that by pushing some buttons and pressing some levers, the skeleton can completely disarticulate into a pile of bones on the floor. And then with one pull of a string, 
it comes all back together and it's all back to dancing again. So this disassembling bone thing, this was your 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 foray into actual string puppets. It was my only foray into performing with the marionette. And I built the puppet and I built the, the rig. I did the research and that was the only time it was in my show. Was Chuck around? Was this part of the Chuck shtick, as it were? It... Chuck shtick. Chuck! Shtick. Is Chuck in the room? Wait, wait, are you talking to that Ray Troll guy? Yeah. <laughs> what a jerk. Tell him I think he's a jerk. Chuck, get out of here, please. Uh, you know, I love Chuck. I love you, Chuck. My shows uh, have so many different facets, and they're all always different. And it's not just ventriloquism. Well, I mean, I want to know, was was this, when did you yeah, perform Chuck this was, thing? Yeah, it was, it was one year when I decided to retire my dinosaurs, and I turned them into singing crows. What? By, yeah, I pulled off their latex skins. And I turned them into singing crows. And I believe that could be available uh, on YouTube somewhere. Okay. Because the underskulls look like yeah, crows. Right. Well, dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. And we are going to talk dinosaurs today with an astounding guest, Rebecca Hunt Foster. I'm so excited. Uh, she is up to all kinds of cool stuff. I want to know what's been going on during the pandemic yeah. with the monument. And Dave, you've never been, have you? No, I've never been there. Uh, I've been... In southern Utah, in the Grand Gulch wilderness, so I do know a bit of the sculpted Red Rock country, but uh, oh, no, man. I've not been to northern Utah except to, uh, you know, I, I've skied in uh, Park City. You've been missing out, man. <laughs> Dinosaur National Monument is like one of the coolest places on the planet. A yeah. massive, massive wall of bones. Yeah. Every paleo geek in the world uh, and the trackways i have so many questions yep, about this yep, navajo sandstone yep. trackway wow, okay yeah so we'll uh let's let's call her up there she's actually there right now she's actually at the park yeah wow yeah let's call her. okay let's call her. hey dave meet rebecca hunt foster park paleontologist for the national park service at dinosaur national monument in utah and it is so nice to meet you here, Rebecca. You've got Welcome. the coolest Welcome. job ever. And yeah. this is my buddy, David. Hey, hey, Rebecca. Hi, guys. No, I really am very lucky. I have a very, very cool job. Yeah, we were saying if there's any, if you're a dinosaur freak, if there's any job on the planet, it would be something called Dinosaur National Monument. I mean, how amazing is that? But the question is, the real important question, and I'm going to get really serious here. Okay. Are you a paleo nerd, Rebecca? Totally. Very much so. Uh -huh. <laughs> How suspected. and why? Yeah. So where, where did this all begin for you, Rebecca? Animals and critters and books. Take us back. Yeah, my, uh, you know, and I feel I'm guilty because I wasn't one of those little bitty kids that went through the dinosaur phase. I uh, came into it when I was like, you know, a younger teenager, like around 12 or 13. And my mom's a librarian and would bring books home for me to read and brought home a book um, called Digging Dinosaurs that Jack Horner had written. And I uh think -huh. <laughs> you talked about one of your earlier episodes. And I uh, just read that book. I wasn't sure. I was like, okay, dinosaurs. I don't know much about them. And I read it and I just fell in love with it. I had always loved animals and I loved being outside and I love rocks and I just knew that I couldn't work on live animals because I love them just too much. I'm too much this of a softie. Is, that's cool. <laughs> this is in Oklahoma and in Arkansas. And yes. uh, you, 
So your mom's a librarian, you read mm -hmm. this book, you're blown away by it, and you start writing letters as a yes. teenager? And you started just writing, as, <laughs> like you just found a scientist to write to and stuff went from there? Is that? Yeah, with my mom being a librarian, she, you know, had all these wonderful books at her fingertips. And it was really before, a little bit before internet. And so okay. I had to, not to date myself, but just a little bit. And so she would make <laughs> me sit down at our, our home computer and write letters to these people. And we would find their addresses um, in journals and in books and um, all over the place. And so I wrote to a lot of localish people, people in Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas, and then worked out from there. And it was such a treat to get letters back from these people. I still have them. Well, what, were, what was, yeah, what were you writing? What were you writing? <laughs> we we, ahead, we know what she's writing. Yeah, the okay, typical well. thing that I think most kids are writing, they're like, I really like dinosaurs and I want to go on a dig. Can I come with you? <laughs> I think that was what a lot of them. did you get a response? I did, yeah. Most of the responses I got were, that's great. You're too young. Yeah. <laughs> but here's um, some information. <laughs> Call us in 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. And so they would all give me information and kind of just help me build my network. They would mail wow. me bulletins, mail me newsletters, put me in touch with other people who were more nearby. So when I was about 13 or 14, probably 14, I got to go on my first fossil excavation in Arkansas with a local paleontologist named Leo Carson Davis. And he kind of was my host into paleontology. And we still keep in touch to this day. Oh, cool. What kind of formation and what fossils were you looking for? You know, it was a cave deposit. And it oh. was a sinkhole. And there were these little um, these little Pleistocene uh, mammals, little tiny rodents and stuff. And it was super so. neat. We had to crawl in a cave and then go down this 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 hole that had a ladder in it with like a a light that you would use to work on your car, dangling down in it and digging out sediment. <laughs> wow. So it was the adventure of digging for the stuff. It's like, this, you, these are not massive megafauna Pleistocene. You're digging up little <laughs> tiny rodents, but yet you still got the paleo bug done. Yeah, I mean, little, absolutely. Yeah, tiny, little bitty guys, tiny. little tiny things. And there were bats alive wow. in the cave there that, you know, it was, it was just so much fun. Um, Ooh, it was a wonderful adventure. experience. And even where we went out, we took all this sediment out and went out and did some screen washing in a local creek. And all the rocks around us were full of Paleozoic um, fossils, which was also really neat. So there's like brachiopods oh, wow. oh. and bryozoans all over the ground, crinoids. So I was picking those up and Dr. Carson Davis is helping me identify those. And it was just it was wonderful. That's cool. Right. So you reached out as a kid writing to people and then eventually off to college and you ended mm -hmm. up working on an Antarctic dinosaur. I did. Fast yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. I was very lucky in that right after grad school, I was looking for jobs and had one open up at Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois, working with Dr. Bill Hammer. And he was looking for a research assistant. And so I got to spend a few years working with him and cleaning Cryolophosaurus, which is a um, a Jurassic dinosaur from Antarctica. Yeah, so. I saw the uh, a fantastic, uh, I guess it was a, a picture of the skull. There is this amazing crest, yeah. but the crest is not longitudinally. It, the crest is... Uh, it bisects the skull yeah. from right to left. Yeah, like like some sort of a giant headlamp or or something. Uh, what would that be for sexual a party, display? A party hat. A party yeah. hat. Yeah. yeah, like New Year's. Happy New Year's. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, but it it's has, absolutely insane. Yeah, it's a really cool crest, and it tapers out very thin, and it has these ridges that run upward on it, and it's a really neat crest because you know it's preserved on the animal, and it has kind of this little suture in the middle of the skull there, but it actually tapers out very thinly. And we even have pieces that are in other blocks that weren't prepped out. So the thing was probably even longer than it's often illustrated. Really? So, yeah. Oh, good to know. I'm, I'm just about to draw one. Uh, oh, I'm good. doing a big dinosaur pattern, and uh, I will increase the crest size. How yeah. is it that you're working on an Antarctic dinosaur in Georgia? What's the Oh, I was in there? Illinois. Oh, in Illinois. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Right. Come on, Ray. It was right. a lot Get colder. your states correct. It was all a right, lot there's colder. the geography, but what did you work on with that dinosaur? I mostly was uh, Bill Hammer's preparator. So I, oh, I was just chiseled. cleaning the fossils, yeah, and the rock oh. was super hard. And I worked on some vertebra and part of the um, the bottom part of the foot around uh, where the foot articulates with the lower leg. So those were some of the bones that I was able to clean. And I was also lucky enough that during that project, when I was working on all this material, um, some folks in Japan wanted to borrow the material. And so I got to go over to Tokyo and set this stuff up in a museum exhibit which was really exciting and a lot of fun because oh, wow. there were other fossils from Antarctica on exhibit there as well. Some of the um, Triassic fossils, amphibians and plants and things like this. So it was a really neat opportunity so to work there. It was a, a museum display? They were having an Antarctic dinosaur um, display at the Tokyo Natural History Museum. So you traveled with the bones? Yeah. Actually, you traveled and you had them in your suitcase at cryolo <laughs> Cryolophosaurus? We That's built cool. a big crate. How complete was the Cryolophosaurus? You know, it, it's pretty good for a theropod. It's, um, I forget the exact percentage off the top of my head, but it had, you know, leg material. The, almost the entire skull is there. The very tip of the skull is missing. There's a lot of vertebra. I think there was a pelvic element. So it, it has quite a bit of the material there. So, cool. yeah. Um, a lot of that work's been done recently by uh, Nate Smith and Pete McAvicky, along with Phil Hammer. Actually, before we jump into this cool place that you happen to work at, you grew <laughs> up in Arkansas, and mm -hmm. I, I spent a lot of my formative years in, in Kansas, and there was the Arkansas River that travels into Kansas, but mm -hmm. when it gets into Kansas, we call it the Arkansas The Arkansas River. River. The Arkansas, <laughs> but... So you, but you why recently. Why are there two different? Wait, wait, wait. Why, why are there two different pronunciations? It's one of those things. Where you're from, tomato, babe? You just tomato. know. Potato, potato, but, tomato. You know, it's the Arkansas River when it's in Kansas. But uh, so I always like to say Arkansas. But you actually, uh, you described a dinosaur hmm? that a, a fellow by the name of Mister Friday once found in Arkansas, and then you yeah. you published this ornithomimosaur paper in 2018. So tell us a little bit about that that weird dinosaur. And the, that's the only dinosaur Arc from uh, Arkansas? At the moment. Arkansasaurus? Friday Eye? Arkansaurus. Friday Eye, yeah. Arkansaurus Friday Eye. Mr. Friday <laughs> found it. Yes, and his name was Joe B. Friday. And <laughs> I actually had an opportunity to meet with uh, Mr. Friday once and hear the story himself about how yeah. they had been doing some road work near his property and had been removing some uh, gravel from his property to build up the road base. And he was out looking for a lost cow. And he happened to... <laughs> yeah, Love it. He, 
God always looked for your cows. Can't keep up with them. And he Where's was, that cow? <laughs> yeah. And he came across, you know, he was walking in the area where they had removed this sediment, and he saw some bones weathering out of it. And he picked them up and thought they were kind of strange, and then went back out later, and they collected some more. And he had a gas station in town, and he took them into the gas station, and a friend of his had a son who was in the geology program. I think he was oh. at... Um, he was still at the University of Arkansas at that point, and his name was Joy Zachary. And he took these fossils back to school with him. He borrowed them and took them and showed them to his professor, who was James Quinn at the University of Arkansas. And Dr. Quinn noticed that these were dinosaur fossils. And, hmm. you know, these are probably an ornithomimid, but it's hard to say. And so, <laughs> yeah, they were only foot bones. That's all there were, were some little toe bones and some metatarsals. And that's all that he had found. And so Dr. Uh, Dr. Quinn was going to work on these specimens. And then he had an accident and died, unfortunately. He was in a, an unfortunate accident collecting. Yikes. And so they never got described. And when I started at the University of Arkansas as an undergraduate, I was already hot on the paleontology and knew that that's what I wanted to do was vertebrate paleontology. But I was living in a state that had very little in the way of, of Mesozoic vertebrate remains. And that was kind of what I was really into. And I was hard. They tried to distract me with other really cool things. And I just, I was that <laughs> annoying a dinosaur girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of ammonites and cephalopods and cool things like that, but just not my, not my thing. And so they're like, well, there's this dinosaur. Why don't you go look at it? <laughs> you know, ugh. And so I uh, was working in the museum collections on campus at that point. And so I asked my supervisor, she's like, oh, yeah, I'll show it to you. And so we went to look at the fossils and there was a cast that they had. The funny thing is, is that at that time, the fossils were actually here at Dinosaur National Monument <laughs> with my predecessor. <laughs> my predecessor oh. had borrowed these fossils and was looking at them. And so we were able to get the loan returned back to the University of Arkansas. And I was able to work with both my predecessor here at the monument, um, Dan Cherry, and with Dr. Carson Davis, who had been my mentor for all these years. And they kind of helped me with writing this paper for an undergraduate research conference. And at that time, there just hadn't been a lot of ornithomimid material described, especially from the early Cretaceous, which is the age that the rocks um, that these bones were found in. Um, is from and so there wasn't a whole lot we could say we're like eh, it's probably a nordethamimid but you know there's just a little bit there so we just kind of well, describe it. please describe it a north a ornithomimid there you go what is an ornithomimid what's yeah what's what it is like? it yeah. what is it and how much material was there was the leg so, bone basically the leg the feet. yeah the foot yeah a foot and that's so it the, that's it a foot yep which is, yep, you know, so. not a well, common... Well, that's what blows me away. What blows me away is you can have just one tiny piece of a skeleton and know the entire organism. Well, it's you hard. look at other ornithomimosaurs yes. and you go, aha, this, these bones match, but mm -hmm. there's enough of it, right, Rebecca, that yes, you were able to, to establish that this was a new species, if exactly. not a new genus. Well, yes. new genus and species. Yeah, yeah. And so we, yeah, we, at the time in 2003, there wasn't a lot of stuff to publish it. So ornithomimids basically... Um, the good cultural reference for ornithomimids is 
Jurassic Park and they're flocking this way and the T-Rex chases these dinosaurs that are flocking like a, you know, moving like a flock of birds. And that... Like a coelophysis type thing? Kind of, but bigger. So they're kind of imagined... So it's a bipedal... More like an ostrich. Yes, it's like an ostrich or an emu with a long tail and arms to give you a nice hug. I love you, Mommy. And, you know, earlier forms actually have teeth in their mouth that then later on they lose their teeth and they just kind of have a beak. Um, So they were probably um, omnivorous. So cool critters. But there's a lot really well known from the late Cretaceous. Do they morph into birds or they died out? They died out, but they're on that same, you know, branch of the family tree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Years go by and you finally are able to to look at the diagnostics of these leg bones and you, you determine it's different. You publish it. Yep. And there's, is it now officially the official state dinosaur of Arkansas? It is. I Googled it. It, it is. is. It's the yep. state dinosaur of Arkansas. So about a year before the paper came out, it was declared Hurrah. the official Utah, or color. sorry, I forget. I'm in Colorado, or Utah. It was declared the official Arkansas <laughs> state dinosaur. I don't know where I am. Uh, yeah. Did you, so. did you have to give a speech? Uh, did Mr. Friday go there and wave to the crowd and there was a no, parade? No, there wasn't oh. very much fanfare, but it was okay. It was just nice that Arkansas has this cool, new to them dinosaur. A lot of people were unfamiliar with it. And um, myself and some colleagues recently, as in this week, submitted a paper on some more vertebrate fossil remains from the Mesozoic of Arkansas. Well, actually, before we jump into the next, to the big cool thing you're doing, but what is this a bloat and float from Arkansas? What's this Cretaceous rock in Arkansas? Is it, we're along the coast of the ancient seaway, yeah. but it's early Cretaceous? Yep. So it's coastal Arkansas. It would have been okay. on the coast, not of Laramidia, but of Appalachia, Appalachia. Yeah. the other side. And so it was hanging out on that side in the early Cretaceous. And we've been comparing um, these bones to other known early Cretaceous ornithomimids that have been found in Maryland and in Utah to kind of figure out, you know, who are they most related to and, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, you would also think that with that big split with Laramidia and Appalachia that there would be tremendous speciation that would begin to happen as these populations are separated, but we don't have much Cretaceous stuff from the east. No, and and during this time too, during the early Cretaceous, they still would have been able to move over into what becomes Laramidia in the early Cretaceous because it's not completely separated till later in the Cretaceous. Um, but yes, we do not have very many Cretaceous rocks preserved in what is Appalachia. Now, is North America, this is before the Western Interior Seaway, correct? And before it bisected. Right, but it, it is kind of already split off from Pangaea and it's mm-hmm. starting to move north toward its current position. Yeah. There's no Florida. And this is after the mountain building event of the Appalachians? Yes, yeah. Which created, which created a runoff. And and uh, into the sea, mm-hmm. right, right. Yep. So yeah, well, that's it. the The whole continent wasn't completely divided, but it was basically close to where it is today. Right. I want to get into the mail station trackway. This yeah. is this, uh... jump right to that, and then the <laughs> other thing. There's the other thing, but go ahead, Dave. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I uh, Ray is awesome. But before all these episodes, he sends me these bullet lists and, of course, a thousand links to our guest. <laughs> and I dive down these rabbit holes of things I usually maybe are slightly aware of, but 
but don't know much about. And this mail station trackway, I read the paper that you worked on, and I am blown away because I, I said, well, this is this these things. What what ran through this this mud? And they are Ubrantes. I'm going, well, I've never heard of a Ubrantes. And I didn't realize that it's something that doesn't exist. Yeah. But it does exist because it is the name for a an imaginary dinosaur that we all we have is the Ichino, what is it called? An Ichino fossil? The Ichno fossil. The Ichno Ichno fossil. Ichno fossil. Right? Ichnofossil, yes. which is fauna. a yeah, Ichnofauna, which is the remains or the trackway trace fossil. So my question is. How did this theropod, known the world over by its footprint, because it's found all over yeah. the world, uh, but not attributed to any known dinosaur, how did it get its name, Eubrontes, and, and what do you think it is? So Eubrontes, so like naming these ichnofossils, these, you know, these traces of different animals are, you know, they're based on the morphology of the foot of what we're looking at with the tracks. So the two most common ones that we're getting in these, this Jurassic age rocks are these Eubrontes which are the the big theropod dinosaurs, then little ones called growlators, which are the little theropod dinosaurs. That's a great name, growlator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's such a great name. I'll have and... another one of those, please. Yes, growlator, please. <laughs> make a, no, a I was attacked name. by a growlator. <laughs> and so Eubronis is probably a large theropod that's probably related to something like Dilophosaurus. And Coelophysis is probably related to whatever is making the growlator tracks. So a 15, 20 foot tall, not not a T-Rex size no, or an Allosaurus size. Smaller than Allosaurus even by a little. But just to be clear, what, what happens with trackways is they're in a different layer than the fossils themselves usually, right? So you Sometimes. can't really say definitively that it was a Dilophosaurus or it yeah. was an Allosaurus. So we give it another name, an yeah. Ichnofauna name. Although right, we all but, know that it's pretty much going to be an Allosaurus or it's going to be a Dilophosaurus, but the trackway people don't want to do that because you can't say it was a Brontosaurus or whatever, right? It is. Yeah, it is really hard. Now, in this paper, you have the morphology of, of these tracks. You know which ones were running, uh, what direction they were running. I mean, I was absolutely uh, amazed by the level of detail. How deep are the imprints? Did, did they arrive on the back of the of the toe? There was one that had a center toe missing, so yeah. it had a pathology. It's absolutely insane how detailed. And then I went and saw this graph of the measurements of each trackway. And then they are able to ascribe each track to a certain uh, individual, T1, T8, T19. I was blown away. I'm wondering if, as you, so that's your paper, right? Rebecca, you and some yeah, colleagues worked I'm on, on it. Yeah, I'm a co-author on that one. We've worked on a lot of tracks. Yeah, well, this one trackway that's got all this cool stuff, you identify this event, uh, this individual that's missing a toe. Mm -hmm. Did you give it a nickname, like Stumpy or something like that? Or <laughs> No, I uh, never thought to. Yeah. No, you don't do that just to keep track of like, oh, that's T1 and there's T1, uh, he's toeless. No, oh, well. <laughs> with some of our other tracks, um, some of our other track sites that I've worked on, when I worked um, out of Moab, Utah, before I arrived at Dinosaur National Monument, we have hundreds of track sites down there. They are all over the wow. place. 
And that was one of the main things that I worked on when I was working in that area is these, these really cool dinosaur track sites. And some of them, um, yeah, like you mentioned, will have pathologies. Like one of our track sites at the Copper Ridge track site, you can tell uh, probably an Allosaurus that actually has kind of a limp and is limping hmm. along, wow. um, which is neat. There's another dinosaur that's making a really sharp turn. So maybe there was a reason that he was making a large turn at it's hard to infer behaviors based on some of these, but when you can see something limping or missing a toe, that can tell you a little bit about that animal. Um, sometimes even the way the tracks are layered over the top of each other, you can tell who came through first and who came through later. And was it a wet, muddy day? Was it a little bit of a drier day? There's a lot of cool things that you can tell from tracks, how tall they are, how quick they're moving. Yeah, do you get a sense that uh, they're communal, so the dinosaurs are hanging out together? And do you ever see like a hunting scenario? There have that has been proposed for some track sites, like the Paluxy track site. I think there's one in Texas. Yeah, at Dinosaur Valley State Park at Paluxy, they that's been one of the um, famous you know scenarios is, and that's why those track yeah. slabs that um, Roland T. Bird cut out of the cut out of the river. And took back to the American Museum. So when you see the Apatosaurus on display at the American Museum, the tracks underneath it actually came from Dinosaur Valley State Park. And so, yeah, they've proposed that something like possibly a large Acrocanthosaurus-like theropod was chasing some sort of sauropod dinosaur. Um, and that there's a missing track and that maybe it jumped up and bit the side of this dinosaur. Yeah. So it's hard to tell. You know, there's but lots of reasons why there could be a... Yes! Do you see yes. mamas, mamas and their babies? We do. Um, at the Mill Canyon track site, which is another early Cretaceous track site located just north of Moab, we actually get large theropod tracks and nearby them, very small theropod tracks near those, uh, which is really cool. cute. And then we also get yeah. little small sauropod tracks as well. So Aww. you're always thinking about these big <laughs> sauropods that have, you know, their footprints can be like the size of a yeah. steering wheel or a dinner plate. I think you'll see these little dainty, probably baby <laughs> ones behind it, which are just adorable. Yeah. I think what is beautiful that wow. these represent a, a Thursday at 3 p.m. You know, I mean, they are they are a moment right. in time. And I mean, uh, uh, you know, 10 minutes of time as these uh, creatures are walking through. But trace fossils, the association of the animal that made them do exist in the fossil record, but they're rare. There yeah. are burrowing creatures where they the tunnel collapsed and they say well this burrow is from that creature he poor guy yeah but the question is are there many dinosaur tracks that lead to a definitive skeleton or the organism that made it so you're not guessing no <laughs> there are not yeah, very I don't many think would be. um there's you know, one completely that in... different deposits really you know you get the trackways in one and then fossils in the other Sometimes, until you find yeah. a footprint you know coming from the, the bones itself yeah you're not gonna get it happened. right but that has happened oh, really? there was a paper oh, really? um, recently okay. that i was reading that's what i was asking yes. Ray. I, I was just asking <laughs> about this there's one instance that i'm aware of where and it happened to be in ornithomimid too so go ornithomimids wow. um and that's how i found the paper and a, a colleague was a co-author on it and it i, I believe it was in mongolia where they were walking around and leaving tracks and there's actually a foot preserved and you know there's tracks underneath it under tracks and this 
disarticulated foot. And the dinosaur, that was literally the last step it took, and it dies with... Poor thing. And it was preserved. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that, cool, that right? That is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Let me ask you this, Rebecca. So you're working for the government. You work mm -hmm. for our for the uh for all of us actually yes. but you also involve um citizen scientists and you wrote a paper or something about citizen science and trackways mm -hmm. what's if dave and i wanted to help out or someone you know wanted to help out what's what's how could we do that yeah how would you involve us there's a lot of different ways that you can participate we um we have what we call site stewards people that go out and monitor track sites and are kind of our eyes on the ground to make sure that they aren't being vandalized or damaged or aren't eroding away too quickly because unfortunately that, that happens. camping camping out um it can if you want there's it depends on where how far out you want to go <laughs> we have some pretty remote track sites and we have some that are an easy drive from a hotel um so there's there's quite a few we have a lot of public track sites in utah which is both really cool for visitors to be able to come and see these public track sites but it also puts them at a level of risk where people have actually tried to steal dinosaur tracks or walk on them when they shouldn't. I was going to say, it, it sounds like them. a cool job, you know? Yeah. If, mm -hmm. if I was to camp out and I'd basically be the guy who'd be sitting out there in the middle of the desert and uh, trying to get a little shade and somebody's going to come find that track site, somebody like Dave and his so Ray, So, Ray, if I pull up with a uh, yeah, pneumatic jackhammer... Yeah, what, I'm, what the would guy, you do? I'm the guy. Would you, uh, and I'm excited. I'm going to call Rebecca. Would you gum me to death? What would you do? Well, I would call Rebecca. That's right. I'd have a satellite <laughs> phone, right? That well, in a so lot wait, of you, these but you're areas, not a park ranger. No, I'm a paleontologist. I don't have right. a gun. I don't arrest people, but I have friends who are. So I call the. I'll call our call park them. law enforcement, and they handle those cases. Right. But Rebecca, but, do you have do you have the hat? I do. I want to know. Hat. Do you have the hat? It's Is over the hat there. You do okay, have you're going to have to get it because you know you. what? We do a screenshot on, on every episode. You'll have to grab the hat. When I'm we not do in when uniform, we do that. but I do have the hat. <laughs> All right, good. Good. I won All that right. bet. Wait, Dave. is it a Smokey the Bear hat yes. or like just a cap? No, it's a Smokey <gasps> the Bear hat. It's a flat no hat. No way. It's a uniform, man. Yeah, no, I told you. Told you, Dave. We were arguing about what kind. I said, no way. She's not going to have the 1930s Smokey yeah, the Bear hat. Totally. I have two. I have a felt one and a straw wow. one. Wow. Uh, but yeah, if you wanted to volunteer at sites too, though, when it comes to volunteering at sites, sometimes okay. we need people to help us clean them and to help document the track sites, like actually physically out there measuring between the tracks and helping us I'm sweep there. away. I'm there. I'm coming this summer. Excavate new track sites. There's, I, there's, I've got one here in the park that I'm real anxious to get to. The problem is it's at, you know, it's at a high degree. So it's not one that we can right. sit on and sweep off because it's it's highly tilted. So you have to uh, kind of abseil down and uh, yeah. be off the side of the cliff in a harness. Absolutely, yeah. we're always very safe. So Rebecca, if somebody if somebody wants to sign up for that, where do, where would they write to? Uh, how would they go about that? Yeah, they can always just reach out directly to me um, at the Park Service, and okay. um, I'm always I love having people come out and volunteer and help with projects. We've got All a right, lot cool. of various things going on. You might get some paleo nerds from this show, but but yeah, I want to I want to turn to the big wall of bones. I mean, is that what you were talking about? The second I, the second thing we wanted to talk the about. The second Ray, thing. Right? I mean, it's it's the <laughs> Dave has never been there. Rebecca, can you? It's it's such a mind blowing cool thing. But I have done some Google bubbles where I've seen it in in three D and uh, on my VR headset. So, but if you can describe, I stood it for there us. virtually. Yeah, if you can describe it for us and uh, maybe a little of the history of it. 
Yeah, walking into what we call the Cory Visitor Center building is, for a paleo nerd, almost a religious experience because you're walking into kind of like this, this not to be um, sacrilegious, but walking into this kind of chapel of paleontology. And it's just, you walk in and there's this big slab of intact mountainside inside a building that's just covered in, in dinosaur bones. Big ones and little ones and articulated ones and disarticulated ones where all the parts are pulled apart. And it's just really a sight to behold. And, and every time you visit, you'll always see new things. There's so many things to see that it's hard to focus on just one one or two of the, of the fossils. Well, Ray, Ray did a little song, wasn't it? Camasaurus Bar... Camasaurus, Barosaurus, Diplodocus, I've not fed less these avatar. <laughs> you said Diplodocus, dude. That's embarrassing. Di- Diplodocus. What is it? Diplodocus? Diplodocus. <laughs> Some people say Diplodocus, but uh, I Diplodocus to me, and I've got one right here. <laughs> I'm but, a Diplodocus, hey, too. Yeah. Rebecca, when people walk into the space, have you seen them just emotionally react to it? Because, you, yeah. I mean... Uh, I was overwhelmed when I first saw it. I mean, I almost wept when I first yeah. saw it. And you must see that almost. I mean, it's so cool. Can What happens when you see these people walk in like. <gasps> yeah, it's a special experience because if you haven't been there before, it's really hard to take in the scope of it. And yes, I've seen grown people cry. I've seen, you know, little kids just go, this is so cool and just get so excited. Um, it's just such a neat experience. I've. I've stood next to astronauts who are like, this is really cool. And I'm like, you work on this space station. And they're like, but this is cooler. And so, you know, it's neat to hear all these different people's experience wow. and perception. I've, and yeah. I love it when people come and they're like, okay, I didn't believe in dinosaurs before I came here. I didn't think they were real. Really? And now I don't know how I could have thought that. So it changes wow. people's lives, which I think is is amazing and, and, and really special. So but cool. how can yeah, we had the foresight to protect it? Go ahead, yes. Dave. But, but how can ten different species end up in one small area? And obviously, it's some river bend. Yes. But, but how can ten? I mean, you're talking about what a six month uh, time window where all these things died, fell in the river, and they all ended up in the river bend. It's definitely the luck of the geologic draw. So it's draw, not to be a pun. Because it's in a draw. Um, (laughs) I'll draw that. All right. But it's uh, basically these animals were living kind of in a a river plain. And there's a we know that there was a river that flowed through this area. We know there were trees. We have lots of big trees, petrified logs preserved in Dinosaur National Monument. Lots of vegetation. And so we know they were living here. They're happy. They're just living their best dinosaur life. And then it looks like a drought happens, as does in many places still today. And the drought happens, and these animals are probably undergoing drought stress and getting sick from not having enough food and passing away and dying. They may be going down into the former river channel to get water and maybe unable to get out or maybe just dying on the flood bank around it. And then the rains return and the water returns and the, the river comes back up. And it comes whenever water is moving carcasses and moving bodies. Of course, it depends on how decomposed they are. If they're still really fleshy, you know, their bones won't separate and spread out as far. But if they have been out and exposed for a while and are kind of dried and desiccated, it's easier for water to pull those bones apart. So at the quarry, we get both 
um, semi-articulated. Like we have a lot of sauropod necks and tails that are preserved and some mm-hmm. arms and legs and things like that. And in the original excavations, they were even getting pretty articulated animals, including one of the most, if not the most articulated um, sauropod that's ever been found, a baby Camarasaurus that's on display at the Carnegie Museum. It's a beautiful specimen. And that was found here at Dinosaur National Monument. And so there's different degrees of articulation and disarticulation. And we can tell that this type of event happened here at least three different times. But we don't know the time span separating that. We don't have good enough technology you mean in, yet. in the wall? Yeah, because we have a lower bone bed, a middle bone bed, and an upper bone bed. So the articulation and disarticulation would represent recency of an organism that dies so if it dies really close to the time it gets buried it's going to be articulated we hope yeah uh, and some yeah and something that's that dies six months prior and Mm -hmm. dried out is going to be a jumble of bones wow but some of the interesting things that we see on the bones too is we don't see a lot of scavenging marks Um, it's very, very rare to see any spots on these bones where you can tell they're being gnawed on and chewed on by predators or or scavengers. So there's not a whole lot of evidence of that. But what there is evidence for are bugs breaking down these carcasses on the bones. We see little pock marks on the bones where we can tell, um, insects or maggots and all sorts of critters domestic beetles yeah they're breaking these bodies down and they're chewing on it and every now and then they get too far down and they'll go back up into the yummy meaty rotten parts and so that's something a lot of people don't think about it's like it's not just animals breaking these animals down it's also insects in that wall since it's it's basically kind of a whole ecosystem that's represented in a way right so You go, there's all these dinosaurs, but there's got to be a lot of other stuff. I mean, there are crocodilians yes. and insects and, and wood and plants. We have wood. We have ah. um, insect traces. We don't have any intact insects. Uh, we have yeah. uh, turtles, um, crocodiles, so those kinds really? of things. But keep in mind, too, that the, the channel that is preserved is kind of a, a quicker moving water environment. So we aren't getting a lot of little, um, a lot of smaller critters preserved in that. But what we do get are um, clams. And clams are really the key to this story that tells us that this this river was undergoing a drought. Yeah. Freshwater clams. And they're all open, which tells us that the area is drying out. And so that's why we can tell that there was a drought. Wow. So this is a mortality event most likely caused by a drought and a rapid drought. Yeah. So with the history of the quarry, it goes back to the early 1900s. The Carnegie Museum was really the first, the Carnegie, I guess you say it like that. Yeah. Uh, They were the first ones really, they're sending, Mr. Carnegie was wanted big stuff for his museum. By Mm -hmm. golly, he went prospecting. He had uh, the fellow that found the place and located it with the vertebrae. And then, uh, Carnegie got pretty much filled up his halls, got a nice Diplodocus and a Brontosaurus, or is it a Patasaurus? It's a Patasaurus. It is a Patasaurus. It's a Patasaurus. But there, Brontosaurus <laughs> does live still, though, right? Brontosaurus does live. I thought Brontosaurus yes. died. I but thought it died and then came back. It is back, I <laughs> think. What is the story with it's the Brontosaurus? Let me, let me finish. It depends <laughs> on who we ask then. Okay, but 
But let's just the, the background is that they got all this stuff: uh, the Diplodocus, the Apatosaurus, uh, the Camarasaurus, the baby Camarasaurus, and then they kind of run out of money. Then the Smiths. Then it's declared a national monument by Woodrow Wilson, I believe. Nineteen sixteen. In nineteen sixteen, oh, Woodrow oh. Wilson. So then the Smithsonian gets their stuff there. So there's mm-hmm. the Diplodocus at the Smithsonian. And then and the it's declared a park eventually, and you have all the leftovers, but it's not really under, I mean, you got a lot of cool leftovers, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the really cool okay, articulated just... stuff was on the top of the mountainside that was found originally that was excavated out. And everything that you can see in the quarry today used to be under the ground. So when um, the Carnegie was working wow. there, when um, Earl Douglas was here, Everything that we see in the quarry mm-hmm. was under the ground. And so they had to work that down um, to get to that layer. And they did a lot of that work with CCC workers in the 30s. Oh, wow. Okay. And in the 50s, they did a lot of that rock and, and uh, overburden removal to get down to the layer that we have today. So they're digging down below. It, so the, they exposed that over the last 100 years, I oh, guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Slowly. Yeah. But this is Jurassic, right? It is. Late Jurassic Morrison Formation. So when I go there, there's still people up there working, or are they pretending to work? Right? There's nobody up there doing nobody... anything. So well, because of COVID, or is no. all the excavation done? All the excavation is is pretty much done. In the mid '90s, they decided to stop excavating. Okay, didn't know and, that. Yeah, so in the mid '90s, they stopped excavating because the point was always to leave fossils in place for people to be able to see. And so they were getting down to that lower layer where if they kept working down, they would, you know, there wouldn't be anything. Compromise the ones up top. They compromised anything above it. There's nothing really much beyond that layer that we know of. And then also there's areas where there were really cool things that they want to leave in the wall for people to see, like skulls and, you know, intact vertebra strings. And so at some point you just kind of have to decide, this is is it. We're going to leave it like this. And so that's kind of where it's at today, um, which is still, it's a really cool thing to to be able to to see and to experience. And this is something that Earl Douglas envisioned when he realized that there were way more dinosaurs here than they could excavate. And he's the one that really started lobbying um, Charles Walcott to get this place turned into a national monument and Walcott. really pushed. Yeah. And he oh, had the vision Walcott ahead of time. The Bridges Shale yes, Walcott? that Walcott. So, really? So the cool. fellow who had Kirk's job. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a question. So in, in this wall, you have Stegosaurus, you have Camarasaurus, Ceratosaurus, what is it? Ceratosaurus. Ceratosaurus. So that's a, a, thera- that's a meat eater. It's a theropod, yep. yep. And you have the little the little uh, ornitho ornithomimids, right? No, no. We have um, Camptosaurus and Camptosaurus, we have, bent lizard. Yeah, and we have um, Ornitholestes, Barosaurus, Barosaurus, Camarasaurus, Camptosaurus. Um, so, question: Is there anything in there that's that's weird or trippy or unexplained or like like what's the coolest thing in that wall um, to you? To me. One of my favorite things on that wall is a is a juvenile Allosaurus leg that's folded up just like a big emu leg, basically. And of course, 
tying back into the ornithomimid stuff, you know, I think that I seem to have a thing for dinosaur feet and all the metatarsals <laughs> are there and the claws. And so I really love that specimen. I think it's really neat. But of course, our um, our supermodel on the wall is a beautiful Camarasaurus skull that um, yeah. isn't on an intact um, neck. And it's just, you know, really beautiful. Um, it's kind of, I explain it, it's like the Disneyland of paleontology because sauropods usually, we joke, don't have heads. You know, they're they're just these big necks roaming around vacuuming up vegetation. <laughs> and so to have so many skulls and skull material that have come out of one quarry is just such a treat and so unusual. So uh, we actually have two Camarasaurus skulls preserved on the wall. And a Camarasaurus is a sauropod, so it's a long-necked dinosaur. Not quite as long as a Diplodocus yes. uh, neck. But uh, So the question would be, too, if there's that one massive bone bed there. And yeah, the, the are monument, there others? There must be more all throughout the park, Yeah, right? But do you know where they are? We don't let the public know about them? Or well, what? I mean, we or... protect we protect vertebrate sites under federal law so that we aren't, you know, endangering the sites. A lot of fossils have been excavated from inside the monument, but, you know, there's always more to be found. Um, some of the cooler new finds have been from the Cedar Mountain Formation, which is oh, early right. Cretaceous. And from one site where you can actually see the Carnegie Quarry, they found um, a dinosaur, a new dinosaur called a Betasaurus. And this is work that took place before I started here by our park paleontologist and um, scientist at BYU. So that's some really cool research that's still ongoing right now. Um, there, have been, there was a new dinosaur called Allosaurus Jim Madsoni that was discovered from the saltwash formation of the Morrison Formation. So it's older than the dinosaurs found in the Carnegie Quarry. Um, but some of the really cool sites that we have elsewhere in the monument aren't dinosaurs at all they preserve little tiny mammals and oh the burrows the burrows or oh, not even burrows these are mostly lake deposits pond deposits that preserve hmm. lots of these little what we like to think of as the background fauna so frogs and salamanders and lizards and little mammal bits and pieces and uh, all sorts of stuff that is just kind of still being studied snails um it's and it's interesting to look at all these little microvertebrates. Is this Jurassic or Eocene? Yeah. No, oh. they're they're Jurassic. Jurassic stuff. Yeah, Jurassic frogs. In googling around and researching your background, uh, you wrote a paper or you gave a presentation at a conference called "Dinosaur National Monument: A Geologic Paradise in Need of Researchers." Yeah. So, what does that mean? All these sites are going. You need some more. Paleo love out there from some workers or what? So the really cool saying? thing about Dinosaur National Monument, when you come here, you think it's just preserving the dinosaurs, right? That that's it. But the bulk of the geology of the park is actually much older than the Mesozoic Age rocks that we find the dinosaurs in. The bulk of the hmm. park is Paleozoic rocks. And oh. so, and they're mostly exposed in the river canyons for the Yampa and the Green Rivers. And we have a lot of these really old rocks that preserve a lot of really cool invertebrate fossils. But we also have um, later on in the Paleozoic Permian deposits that haven't been studied in very much detail. So who knows what's out there? There could be tracks, there could be bones, we aren't sure. So I'm trying to find researchers who are really interested in these Paleozoic time periods to come out and start doing some research on those units because we do have some really interesting fossils preserved in those, but nobody's hmm. studying them. The only scientists that we have studying 
anything in the Paleozoic right now are two different research crews that are working on Cambrian trilobites. And trilobites are kind of the dinosaurs of the Paleozoic. Everybody loves trilobites. Well, and yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're really cool. Um, so we're, we're looking to branch out and bring in other researchers who want to study things outside of dinosaur paleontology to look oh, at all these other aspects. Wow, very That's cool. So cool. So one has to go through all the proper permitting, you know, yes. of course, you know, to work through you. You are the part. Are there any other paleontologists there or are you it? Nope, I'm it. I have a, I have an intern right now who's working in our museum collections who um, is, you know, an early paleontologist too, a young paleontologist. But he's here temporarily. So right now it's it's just me. And so what's been going on during the pandemic? Are you open? We've been open and closed and open and, you know, abbreviated hours. We've mostly been open for a while. We had to close the Cory and the Visitor Center to the public just because of the co-mingling things. But they're open now. We're open full time. And right. um, during the pandemic, we actually worked in our museum collections mostly. We did a big um, overhaul of our museum collections and moved them to another building bought brand new cabinetry and have been rehousing all these oh. objects. And so that's taken the bulk of our work over the last year. There's a new building housing all that? We have, uh, we're borrowing the collections facility in the town of Vernal, Utah, and we're uh, kind of partnering with the Utah Fieldhouse Museum of Natural History State Park. I wanted to ask, do you live at the park or do you commute from Vernal? I commute from Vernal. I have two kids, and so they want to go to okay. school in, in town. So. And what's the elevation of the quarry? Oh, that's Sorry. a great question. I have no idea. Uh, no idea. I'd have to look it up. Around, around 4,000 feet, yeah, I probably. would think. Yeah. Around 4,000. Yeah. yeah, I read that some of the geology of uh, the the mountains there, the Uinta, how would you say? The Uinta, the Uinta Mountains, Rain? yep. Yeah. Uh, because it uh, erodes fairly quickly, uh, if it hadn't, it would have been 40,000 feet high. They were probably some pretty big mountains at one point. They've definitely eroded. What I'm saying, it would have never been that high, but it keeps eroding as the ground gets uplifted. Yeah. And and it has erased 40,000 feet of material. It's amazing to think about how much material, especially when you're up there in the Uintas and you think about how old some of that rock is to start off with, because a lot of that rock that you get up in the Uintas is quite old. Oh, I can't wait. I think I'm going to take a road trip. I'm definitely coming it's a beautiful area and there's so much variety to see here That's, i mean yeah. you can be in the deserts you can be in the mountains you can be on the river um you can be are in there the campsites quarry. within the national park yes we have a campground here on the green river side of the park um and it's right it's is there off-road right camping um, or you have to be in designated campsites there's designated campsites in the park and then you can disperse camp on blm land outside of the park oh great yep all right Count me in. So, Rebecca, what are you working on now? Are you Is there an active dig that you're involved with? You know, we don't have any active digs going on at the moment just because this museum collections project has really been okay. um, taking up a lot of our time. Outside of the park, I have been participating in some digs. Um, we have a Brachiosaurus site that we've been working on that is located um, closer to Capitol Reef National Park than my park, um, but it's also from the Morrison Formation. And there haven't been too many Brachiosaurus that have been found. And so it's pretty special to be able to work on a Brachiosaurus, something I never thought I'd get a chance to work on. So how far is that from you? You've got to drive up there to the dig? and Yeah, or, we and, drive and, out there. It's about about three hours. Wow, that's cool. Brachiosaurus, yeah. I love Brachiosaurus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool dinosaur. So what, two years ago now, 
we went out with some friends and colleagues and dug up a humerus, upper arm bone of one of these brachiosaurs that they had found when uh, two of our friends were out hiking. They're also a paleontologist and paleoartist, Matt Weddle, um, Brian Ng, and Tut Tran were out hiking around, prospecting, looking for some fossils, and came across some stuff eroding out. And they started looking, and it just kept getting bigger and longer and longer. Wow. And wow. they realized this is a really big bone. And, and Matt Weddle is a sauropod expert, as is my, my husband, John Foster, who's also a paleontologist. And oh, okay. so they knew pretty quickly probably what they had. So they were really excited. And so we got down there as quick as we could. And we worked um, on excavating just this one bone. We found some other scrap. And there's some other things we want to go back and look at. But it's in a remote area that's hard to get to. And, and how big is this humerus? Oh, goodness. It's over. It's over. Like four feet? Oh, no. It's like in the six foot range. Really? Yeah, I forget wow. the exact measurement off the top of my head. But it's the wow. second largest brachiosaur humorous that's ever been found that's where, funny where yeah. will that end up going it's very humorous <laughs> right he, he made a joke uh so where will that uh, brachiosaurus uh go you need a big old warehouse for that so that specimen is at the utah Fieldhouse museum in vernal utah okay. and it's in the lab right now you can actually see it through the windows if you visit the museum and it is a big specimen. We ended up using Clydesdales to pull it out because we didn't have the money wow, for a, a helicopter. So that was a oh. lot of fun. My daughter wow. loved having the horses out there to help us get the, the well, fossil out. A, yeah. So nice was, combo. Oh, yeah, because anything with horses. Just like the Valley of Guanji with cowboys and dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Hey, you've, you've co-authored papers with your husband. Yes. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That must be a great collaboration. Yeah, great is. collaboration, a lot of fun. I feel so lucky. And it's funny, too, because he's he's actually a Morrison expert. <laughs> and here I am wow. working at Dinosaur National Monument, and I've learned so much of, of the Morrison with him. Um, he's been kind of my wonderful guide through the world of the Morrison Formation. And and it's such a treat to be able uh, to to work here. Is there any Morrison limestone in the park, or is it all mudstone, sandstone, silstone? It's mostly mudstone and sandstone, but we do get little bits of limestone. So the Morrison Formation is, uh, I, I learned to recognize this when I was driving around the West with Kirk Johnson. It's mm -hmm. sort of, a, it's that rainbow uh, kind of look to it. And we he would always say red, white, and blue. And it is kind of a red, white, and bluish. And whenever you see it, it's like, oh, wow, stop the car and mm -hmm. look around. It's such an incredible formation. It, it, it's it 1.5 million square kilometers, and it runs from Alberta all the way into Arizona. Yeah, and Dave, a, when you see it, that's fossil country. It is so pretty, and it's always these yeah. mottled reds and greens, floodplains and rivers, yeah, and beautiful. you know, really nice. Yeah, it's a giant floodplain. Yep. And and the fun thing about the Morrison, though, it's the prettier the badlands, the less yeah. likely you are to find fossils. That's been our, our lesson in the Morrison oh, yeah. over all these years, is if it's really pretty, keep Wait. driving. <laughs> yeah, it's true, because oh. you're going to find them in the gray, in the gray, nondescript. More often yeah. than not. You heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here. All right. Okay, now I know to keep on driving. I want to know, uh, before we ask a couple wrap-up questions and do our screenshot, does the name Ernest Unterman mean anything to you? Yeah, a lot of his paintings are still... Um, on display at the museum or in the collections area. So when I'm working in the museum collections, I get to walk past all these Utterman paintings all the time, and they're so fun to look at. Uh, really interesting things. 
So they're in Vernal, but I remember when I was at the monument, I saw a couple of Untermans uh, there at the monument, too. Yeah, so when the building was condemned um, in, what was it, 2009? They, uh, was this the original, the original park the building? The original building, or 2006. I forget the year that it was condemned. Um, but point being, they had to empty the building out really quickly. And when they built the new Cory Exhibit Hall, the, it's mostly glass. There's not a whole lot of wall space. So we don't have those paintings hanging up currently, unfortunately, which I think is a bummer because they're really, really cool paintings. Yeah, Unterman's work, I keep waiting for someone to do the major the major book of his stuff. Uh, I just love his stuff and what a character he was too. Unterman. Well, we'll have some uh, pictures. Yeah, we'll put on, some on uh, the old website. Page. Yeah, there's some really, he did some really cool paleo art too. So it's fun to look well, back at that. That's what I, yeah. His paleo art, his dinosaurs are always so happy looking, yeah. but you know, and this, but he painted the strata. And beautiful landscapes. Yes. Yeah, the landscapes, landscapes are just like, talk about, yeah. Yeah. They're a little Crazy psychedelic cool. and fun. They're, they're really cool. That's the psychedelic aspect to them. Uh, does <laughs> sounds it. like Ray's work. Sounds like me, man. I wonder but, what uh, your influence is, Ray. Gotta love psychedelia. So, Rebecca, you know, you and your family, uh, married to a paleontologist, you've got a couple of kids. Do the kids ever want, like, oh, mom and dad, like, can we have a break from the dinosaurs? Not yet, but we're working on that. Um, <laughs> we're hoping, you know, they'll go Your daughter go get... loves horses, though. She loves horses, <laughs> but she also is really good at finding fossils and has oh. been paying attention all these years. And uh, uh -oh. when we were working at the Brachiosaurus site, she found a little you know, bit of fossil off to the side and kind of led her own little fossil excavation with the, the cool. people who brought the horses out's kids. And we're sitting there listening to her and she's telling him exactly what to do and she's telling him correct. And we're like, oh, geez, she's been listening all this time. And she's she's not to toot her horn, you know, as a parent, but she's a sharp little tack. She she knows her, her fossils and she's uh, pretty good at, at what she does already. So we'll be curious to see where she thinks she wants to be a vet, though. So we're going to see where that uh, goes well the apple does not fall far from the tree as no. they say you know she's and definitely her dad's child cool you got two kids though right yeah and our youngest he's five right now and he's he's getting really good he has a fossil excavation going on outside the driveway right now and he <laughs> he loves his fossils i was given a talk the other day and said something about trilobites and he ran off to his dad's desk and brought me back a picture of a trilobite off the desk oh, and so yeah, our kids can identify fossils. They've got an eye for it. They're closer to the ground, so they can see things we can't see. And they've been in the field since they were babies with us, so they're kind of used to the life. Yeah, you know, I watched that interview that uh, you did with Annalisa Berta yeah. um, at one of the meetings, and she's doing a special interviews with uh, women paleontologists. Mm -hmm. And in that uh, interview, you talk about uh, your kids coming to the quarry, but balancing being a mom, having a job, being yeah. a scientist, being a basically kind of a park ranger too i mean you're a park paleontologist but you've i'm sure you've got to do your fair share of uh, helping to manage this crazy public in the world these days but and then being a publishing scientist um i'm sure you must wonder how do you do it all can you do it all no no you wonder ray you're the one wondering she no, does I do a lot of stuff but I'm, this is the you know the balancing i'm just wondering there's a lot I of wonder roles too. We it all is play. a lot of a balance and some days things fall behind the cracks and i think it's a lot of self-forgiveness knowing that i can't do it all and um 
you know, being able to be easy on myself. It's something I've had to learn the hard way. I have a great spouse who's really helpful and a wonderful co-parent who helps me with so much stuff. And then I, I am just surrounded by amazing colleagues who totally get what I'm up against and work with me and are helpful and kind and caring. And it's paleo is like a big family to me. I feel so very lucky to be in this wonderful tribe of people. And, and it's, it is hard to do it all. I mean, I, I'm not publishing much right now. I mean, the, some people during the pandemic were writing papers a day, it seemed, and just super, super able to get stuff done. And we were, you know, managing full-time jobs and homeschooling. And it's tough. It's tough. The research just had to fall off the radar. It's just hard to juggle it all. So, you know, you do what you can at the time. Ray, your kids have flown the coop, so you've forgotten the patients needed uh, for kids? us parents. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> remember, remember you had kids a long time yeah. ago? Yeah. <laughs> actually, one of them works for this podcast. So uh, I'm actually uh, collaborating with both of my kids. So it's a lifelong it's a lifelong journey, man, parenting. And, That's awesome. Uh, anyways, Rebecca, it sounds like you've got, you do have like one of the coolest jobs. Uh, should we do the screenshot now? Maybe we should do the screenshot. Yeah. And then right, do the then, yeah let's do the screenshot, then we'll ask the two questions. Yeah. Do you want me to get my hat? Yeah, yeah, get your hat. Please. That'd be great. Get your hat. Oh my God, you do have it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot be outdone by you amateurs. Oh, I'll, I'll wait. Oh, well, look what I've got this, and she's got a ceratosaurus. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. All right, that's it. <laughs> Is that it? We got the yeah. shot. Look at the detail, huh? Triceratops. I have a Taurosaurus. Oh, look at that frill. Yeah, look at that. So, here's the time-traveling question, Rebecca. We asked this of all the guests. You could go back in time. What time are you going to go to? What time period? I'm assuming we're back in the Mesozoic, maybe? And what do you want to see? Oh, but don't actually, lead, no, don't no, lead the witness. Don't lead the witness. Do Sorry. not lead okay, the witness. Okay, maybe... maybe where do you want to? When do you want to go back to? Maybe you're tired of dinosaurs. You got to say when do you want to go? When do you want to go to? And where do you? What do you want to see? That's all right. the question, Ray. Well, Come the, on, this is good banter. It's all right, Rebecca. You know the question. You want to time travel back to when? You know, I kind of would love to see uh, the Precambrian. I have, I have a thing for stromatolites. Oh. <laughs> and I would love Whoa. to see some stromatolites. Um, some billion. Do you want to go to the Proterozoic? Well, if I'm in a safe, contained, oxygen-producing environment, yeah. Right. Wait, you want to look at stromatolites? It's just sort of <laughs> you a you talk lumpy... about pre-oxygenation event is when you want to go to Earth. Early All right, oxygenating. Give me the stromatolite pitch. Why? Why? Why stromatolites? Stromatolites don't get any cred. You know, they're really cool. These early life forms that are basically producing our atmosphere that we have our oxygen and and people don't think about them. They are all over the place and people don't notice them. We find them, you know, there's still stromatolites today that you can see in the Bahamas and in the Great Salt Lake and in Shark Bay and in Australia. And they're just these cool algal mounds and some of the, you know, earlier life forms on our planet earliest. And so I think it'd be really neat to see. I'd love to see real ones someday. I've never seen a live one. Um, hmm. so yeah. it's on a bucket I want to go to list. Western Australia yes. and see that. Yeah, yeah, that's on my high on my bucket list wow. to see that. So it would definitely well, be a first... toss up between, you know, the Precambrian and Stromatolites and the late Jurassic to early Cretaceous, but Okay, all right, there's a few dinosaurs. 
Well, and if you wanted to see what one dinosaur, what what one dinosaur do you want to see? Jeez, that's Putting hard. You spot. Uh, Taurosaurus. Taurosaurus. Okay. That's the bigger than the Allosaurus, right? It's the big one. You don't get many of those in the park, do you? Oh, not Torvosaurus. Torosaurus. The Ceratopsian. Torosaurus. Oh, Torvosaurus. I'm sorry. The Ceratopsian. Yeah. And wait, do you think, I was going to ask you this, Torosaurus is just a, an adult Triceratops. No, it's its its own thing. You don't buy no, that. it's just different species. Yeah. No, yeah. we Jack Horner says it's the same. It's a it's an adult on a previous episode, but you you say no. Well, Jack Horner thinks there's only three dinosaur species, and all of the rest are just juveniles well, and old people. in the Hell Creek formation. So, and I'm looking outside the Hell Creek as well. <laughs> you are you are a splitter and not a lumper in this instance. Yes. Okay, Torosaurus. All right, you held up one. I I stand corrected. I, boy, I'm embarrassed. Torosaurus, Dave. done a lot of uh, community outreach, uh, especially with uh, kids in the local towns uh, around Dinosaur National Monument. What can we do as non-scientists to, I guess, propagate the idea that science is based on facts mm -hmm. and opinion on social media is someone's point of view? What, what can we do as a non-scientist to... Uh, Help spread the word that science is real. Yeah, supporting science, I think, is key. You know, doing things like this podcast, bringing science to the people. Um, if they can't come and physically touch it, giving them something to learn and listen to and making, taking really complex ideas and making them understandable. And I think a lot of like what you do, Ray, with, with paleo art goes into that because a, a lot of us are very visual learners and having really engaging capturing images can help draw you into science and make you want to learn more and new questions will pop up in your head that you hadn't even thought of why is it that color why does its skin look like this why why are the trees behind it look like that there's all sorts of things that you can gather from those um, that really just set off fireworks in your brain and make you think so I think that's a really good way to engage with the public and if you can encourage you know students to read books to draw their own pictures to go out and experience if it's their backyard or go on a nature hike, just getting outside and experiencing the world around you, I think is a lot of, it's a really good way to engage people in science. You awesome. said that you've actually had visitors who walked in and didn't believe in dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and I, I grew up in Oklahoma and Arkansas, so that's not something that's unusual for me. I, I know that some people don't believe in dinosaurs or don't believe in believe fossils. And, wow. um, and my dad himself is a, is a pastor retired now, but I grew up in um, the Baptist church and later the Methodist church. And so I've, I've grown up kind of with a lot of, uh, mindset of these things aren't real. And it's always a real mm -hmm. treat when you get somebody that comes in and wants to actually have a conversation about it and wants to ask questions and become more informed scientifically and that they get a chance that the cool thing that we do at Dinosaur is that we have fossils still in the rock, in the wall, that you can walk right up to and touch. And that's something that so many wow. people never have the opportunity to. These aren't things that we concreted in place or that we, you know, put some fake background around. They're the real fossils right. where they There's... died, you know, it, where they became preserved as fossils still in place that you can come up wow. and just put your hands on. And that's such a valuable 
experience for people and such a unique experience. And I think that's just a treat. That's interesting. Your father was a Baptist minister and your mom was a librarian. Yeah. And, and the Baptists are, are known, uh, I mean, there's wings of the Baptist church. Now, I don't, I'm, I was raised Catholic, but that was very conservative, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we were Southern Baptist. Was it creationist, basically? Um, Early on, to some degree. Um, my dad and I, early on, did not agree about um, some aspects of creationism versus evolution. And then, right. but my mom would bring home books, and they just wanted me to become educated on it, form my own opinions and prove them wrong. And well, so, they did a damn good job, Rebecca. <laughs> they really did. I feel very yeah, lucky. I have did. two very wonderful, supportive parents, and they really, you know, are the reason I'm here today. And yeah, they. And now my dad, you know, he gets it. He's fine with it. Well, yeah, so, you know, I've encountered this with my friend Kirk Johnson, who works mm-hmm. at the Smithsonian. He was brought up as a Seventh Day Adventist. It's because he was brought up as a Seventh Day Adventist that he was actually drawn to geology because they're always talking about it. They're in the business of trying to disprove it, so he became interested in it. And then, but he also has a very great uh, relationship with the Seventh Adventist Church mm-hmm. that he went to as a kid. So, it's well, they were uh, also very progressive, Ray. They were yeah, really, but there's really also this liberal. thing. It's called dialogue between people, mm-hmm. and you know, just um, yeah, a generational thing and respect. And yes, um, yeah. that's to my that, that's so. the way I look at it. Is you can have respectful conversations with people, and you don't have to agree with each other. Yeah. Torvosaurus and uh, Torosaurus and Triceratops. and Triceratops, absolutely. That's a perfect example. I hope we can get along there, yeah. So. <laughs> well, this has been fantastic, <laughs> and it's been an honor, and I have to come visit that park. I really do. Please it's, do. Uh, it's going to be – it's now uh, moved up to the top of my bucket list. Road trip. Road trip. It's yeah. so much fun. Yeah, it's, a, no. it's a really cool area. And, you know, Utah is, like, honestly a, a really – Jim, when it comes to paleontology, we could keep you it here really for a is. month and keep you busy with so many paleo sites to see and so many things to to visit and do. We we're really a lucky place. So many cool roadside dinosaurs where the locals get so inspired. They have these concrete monstrosities yes. that they put up that are yes. so lovely. I love them. But anyways, Rebecca, thank you so much. It's been a blast, and I look forward to actually meeting you in reality. Yeah, definitely. Uh, seeing that big wall. So thank you for your time, it. Rebecca. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, that was really, really exciting because I now have a new place to go. I mean, <laughs> it's not that far from me. It's probably about 15 hours. Right? Or less. No, maybe less. Yeah, no. I I, I want to go. I've only been there a couple times and actually realized that they rebuilt the whole building. Hey, um... You know, there's so many places, Capitol Reef in Utah that I want to go. I want to go. I've never been to, uh, what is it, Escalante, and then there is Moab. I've never been to Moab. And- well, on Vernal, Utah, too, she's talked about the Vernal Fieldhouse, and actually there's a lot of cool Eocene stuff from right around there, too. So uh, there's a great museum uh, there in Vernal. Well, you know, the uh, the giant Eocene lakes are not far from there. You know, Cameroon is north right, of there. Right. And- That's Cameroon. Yeah. Yeah. So all <laughs> kinds of stuff to see. And uh, Paleo Road Tripping, man. And, uh, you know, I know a guy who did a map once. Yeah. Could kind of help you with that. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know the guy who did the map. Yeah, yeah. He's cool. Yeah, guy. it was John, Wes- yeah, John Wesley Powell. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> one arm. He was a one arm bandit. Really? <laughs> yeah. Did you know John Wesley Powell, who went down the Green River and and the Colorado River on a raft uh, shortly after the Civil War, did it one armed because he lost an arm to cannon during the Civil War? 
And he I thought had, that was Shiloh. And, and do you know the, anything about John Wesley Powell? No, I don't actually. Oh my goodness! All right. Well, so apparently he drew a map, but did he draw dinosaurs on his map? Uh, I don't think he knew there were dinosaurs back in eighteen seventy something. Oh, they knew about them by then, man. But. Uh, well, that's what we do, Dave. Uh, we have areas of knowledge and expertise uh, that we only know so much. And uh, obviously, you know about that guy. John Wesley Powell. Thank you. And I know nothing. He's one of the first people uh, to explore that area where Dinosaur National Monument is. White people. First European. You, you know what? You are so right. I am so embarrassed. Called you out on that. Okay, all right, all right. So, but uh, he didn't draw dinosaurs on his maps. No, he didn't. You draw dinosaurs Thank you. and That's cheeseburgers. All I wanted. Uh, yeah. You draw the most amazing <clears throat> maps. And you know what? I I have one in my um, computer room where we have the VR computer, and I almost have to say that your map is more interesting. Uh, I'm amazed at how much detail and and how many like for example the California Nevada one, right? It's yeah. Just California mm -hmm. Nevada. That's it. Hard to draw California without Nevada right there. How long did that take you from start to finish? I mean, is that like over a half a year? Or, no. or is it you just pile, power through it in a week? That's like what? maybe three months, two, three months. Wow. Going to the studio every day, you know. And uh, and can I buy that on your website? <laughs> you certainly map? can. Or you can follow the links from the Paleo Nerds website. It'll get you there. So Okay. And how would I find that particular? Is it under maps on Ray Troll? Or trollart.com? Where is um, it? You know, it's in the store section. and under You don't know where your I, own stuff is. Dude, I'd have to go back and look. There's a lot okay. of buttons. A lot of buttons on my well, website. Well, you know what? But... We'll have a link in this episode Thank to you. your maps. Because they are they are truly... I'm not just blowing smoke. They are absolutely amazing. Well, thanks, man. And you are... Um, you know, you, we link to your Strassman world. Don't, no, don't try to back. go to my... No, oh, well, do not deflect let's, it let's, back. Let's do this. Rebecca Hunt Foster... Part paleontologist, coolest job in the world, On other the than planet. maybe ventriloquism and being an artist. But... Oh, stop it. Anyway, no. she was awesome. She was absolutely she was. awesome. So I want to go, actually, I just picture myself being at one of those, you know, dinosaur sites, being the, the guy. Oh, you want to stand there with a submachine gun and keep away from my well, the interpreter, way. the interpreter. And then if they oh. start, you know, misbehaving, all they, hey, hey, well, maybe call Rebecca. Get your kids off that trackway. Yeah. Anyways, cool stuff. I really want to go to that area of the world again. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully I will be um, able to soon. Okay, man. All right. Well, I'm signing off from uh, Ojai, California, where the wind gusts are hitting 50 miles an hour. Because Whoa. tonight we are getting our second rain of the season, which is not <gasps> very good. Really? To only have two rain events in an entire Rainy season is a very bad, bad, bad Oh, this is your so-called rainy season. Oh, okay. Oh, dude, we should have had... Uh, we are 60% below normal right now. Mm, well, we're doing okay so far, and just right up here. So All I'm right. signing off from beautiful Ketchikan, Alaska, where it is a sunny day. I'm going to eat some lunch, and then I'm going to go walk around the town. The Corvids are waiting for me. The dinosaurs are lurking. Thank you, Ray, and I'll talk to you later. Over now, man. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at paleonerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? 
Check out PaleoNerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a PaleoNerd for a long, long time. I'm a paleo nerd, don't you understand? I'm a paleo nerd.